0: I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. The theme of this week's show is libraries. My guest today is Laura Marlane, Executive Director of Omaha Public Libraries. A New Englander, Laura was hired away from leading the Providence Community Library System in the fall of 2015. Her husband, Paul, and youngest son joined her in Omaha, but her eldest son remains working at a library in Rhode Island. You're the leader of a library system. Yes. And I wonder if the word libraries conjures up a different image for you of what libraries are, or if when you think of libraries, you have um, an image of libraries maybe just like everybody else.
1: Um, I think whenever I hear the word, I go back to my first library, my hometown library. That was such a special place. And when I was five, my mom would let me walk there by myself because I didn't have to cross big streets. So it meant a lot to me to have the card with my signature on it because you had to be able to sign your name to get a library card. And I could only use the children's library. Um, I had to wait till eighth grade to graduate to the orange cards that adults got. But my mom would usually sneak out, check out whatever I wanted that they wouldn't let me. I read everything I could get my hands on. I thought the library was my connection to information, and I wanted to know everything I could about a lot of subjects. That's always been my image of libraries. It's an old, looks like a Carnegie-style library, um, and it's still there. It's over 100 years old now. How has that first
0: library experience shaped your sense of what libraries should feel like?
1: There was an evil librarian who terrified me, and, oh God, she, she used to ride a bike through the city and anytime the kids would see her, we'd all whisper, because do, <laughs> she looked a lot like Elvira Gulch from the Wizard of Oz. And she, she would, you had to wait till she finished reading whatever she was reading in the paper before she'd check out your books and you tried not to ask too many questions and. It was hard sometimes because I was terrified of her, but I loved the library, so I'd go anyway, and growing up, I thought it was just so wrong to do that, that a library is a connection space for so many people, and they can get information there. They can't get anywhere else. You want it to be welcoming. You want the people to be friendly and helpful, and that's just so important, especially in communities where I've worked, in poorer communities where people really need these services and help. And if you put them off, you're really cutting them off. That's always seemed so wrong to me.
0: It's interesting how you describe less the technical and functional aspects of a library, but you talk about library as an oasis Mm -hmm. and a connection space, and you use words like welcome. And they seem to me to be very important descriptors of what libraries could be. It seems to me to make them still very relevant in community. I wonder if you might speak a little bit to to the relevancy of libraries.
1: Libraries are more relevant today than they ever have been. Um, it used to be there was a time when you got your information from newspapers and you you could pretty much rely on what you read. And if you read something that was printed in a book, you could rely on that too because it wasn't easy to get things printed. It wasn't like you could press a button and create a PDF and upload it to Amazon or it's just so easy now to create content. And that's what we call it. We just call it content like it's filler, like it's just there on the screen. But it's it's so important to make a human connection even today. If we set up a library as a big intimidating space that seems vast and overwhelming, few people will come and fewer will come back. We want it to feel like it's safe and you can ask. It's it's always safe to ask and you can ask anybody. It's so easy to find so much, but it can be so hard to find the one right answer or the one thing you need. Um, With so many services online now, it makes it even harder for people to find what they're looking for. Uh, I helped one person with what looked to be on the surface a simple issue. She was changing her name. She'd gotten divorced and she wanted to change her name. And she thought it would cost hundreds of dollars. Because on a Google search, when you look that up, you get lawyers. Pages and pages of lawyers who, for a couple thousand dollars only, can help you do this thing. Um, But if you find the right probate form on the right website in the city that you're going to do this in, it's probably only 50 bucks and half a day out of work to go to court and give them the petition and they change your name. And we found the form. Government websites aren't very easy to navigate, but we found it. And she took care of it with 50 bucks and she thought it was going to be a couple thousand dollars and she'd have to hire a lawyer. And the relief on her face was such a great thing to see Uh, with the Affordable Care Act all of a sudden everybody had to use the internet to register not just register but find what they needed and buy it we had librarians who trained as navigators at my last library and we worked very closely with people to help them and some of those questions are so hard for people to answer people who have medical conditions and they don't want to share that information with you or it's very sensitive subject and You need to be compassionate and helpful and trustworthy to help people through these things. Most of government services have gone online. And most of the help that the government services used to provide has gone away as those services have moved online. And that makes the world a harder place to navigate for many people. And libraries are there to help with that.
0: I love the idea of librarians as expert navigators. It it really speaks to the credibility of librarians as those people that can take us somewhere that is uh, trusted and reliable and informative uh, and useful. How are librarians keeping up uh, with the ability to adapt to the 21st century?
1: Um, I see librarians doing this every day, embracing technology uh, playing with new technology to see what it could do to help our patrons. Knowing what the needs are in our communities, knowing what people want every day, understanding the politics of the world around us because that shapes everybody's life. It shapes their access to resources. Um, changes in health care have a serious and profound effect on families and their ability to provide for their, their themselves and their children, their ability to afford the things they need every day. If we can do something that points people to a resource that can help them or gives them guidance during a difficult time, I feel like we're doing our job and we're doing it really well. And nothing makes me happier than that. And Knowing what those things are in our community is another thing that that our librarians do. Especially at OPL, we have subject specialists, and they learn their subject, not just to purchase books um, or databases, but to understand what the services are in our community, what resources. And you become a part of people's lives in a way. It's, it's just such a community around a library.
0: I love that idea that libraries themselves are a community and that immediate area around them is is clearly changed for the better by the existence of the library. I'm wondering, taking a slightly bigger picture view, about how libraries contribute to community.
1: Well, aside from the traditional book clubs, um, summer reading programs, there are a lot of things that we're able to offer. I mean, right now at OPL, we're working on improving our internet services, We're still sort of late 20th century. Um, Our branch libraries are currently on cable modems. Um, So we're going to be moving to Network Nebraska Education for internet and we'll be going from 25 megs, maybe, on a good day, to gig speeds in July. Uh, Well, our in-house interlibrary traffic will be about 500 megs, but our Wi-Fi should be closer to a gig. And this is going to be an enormous, enormous change. Um, We still have issues on our existing network that people had like 10, 15 years ago. You know, things would just crash and things lock up. Um, Our tech people are just constantly putting out fires. Once we make this move, that should all go away and... People will be able to connect to our Wi-Fi. They'll have stable connections on all our wired computers and we'll be able to do more. Right now we we loan out um, Chromebooks that have internet connections so people can actually take home a device and internet if they don't have it at home. We'll be able to offer software as a service from our website so people can log in and try things, um, use resources that they might not necessarily have at home to do homework we're looking at circulating Wi-Fi hotspots. That's something I did at my last library. We were actually the first library in the country to start doing that and it was hugely successful. A lot of people feel are being pushed more towards online banking, um, filing your tax returns online. It can be hard for libraries to even get paper tax returns because they, they want you to file online. They just don't want to deal with it and People just don't either don't know how to do this or they certainly don't want to do it on a library computer and put all their financial information in. So allowing them to take the internet home gives them that extra measure of security and the time they need to do something more complicated and involved. And I know Cox here does connect to compete with the $10 connections for internet, but some people still can't afford that. And there are segments of the community that just don't have access to broadband. If anything, they're more smartphone dependent because, especially teens, so many kids have a smartphone and they can hop on Wi-Fi wherever, but you can't do everything on a phone. It's, you know, try filing your taxes on a smartphone. There's just no way. So we want to be able to offer more resources like that. And we've partnered with Girls Who Code and Initially, we got the Chromebooks so the girls could take them home and work on their coding projects whenever they wanted to. There's such a move into STEM. It's so important for kids to have access to these digital resources, especially in poorer communities where kids aren't getting the exposure to this stuff. It's going to be so crucial in their lives. You know, it used to be computers were only important if you were going to become a software engineer or a programmer. But now, there really is nobody who can get through life without ever touching a computer. Um, there's a move to digital textbooks. Well, if you don't have internet at home, you might not be able to access what you need. So how do you bridge that gap for the kids who don't have internet at home? It's it's stuff we can help with.
0: I love that phrase, bridging the gap, because a lot of what you've described to me sounds as if you are bridging the gap between the 20th century and the rest of this 21st century ahead of us. And this really quite uh, you know, startling and progressive array of initiatives you've talked about around the new technologies of the 21st century, I think really demonstrate to me that the library is adapting in a really smart and flexible and progressive, thoughtful way for the future.
1: There is some amazing new technology out. Um, One thing in particular is TV white space, which I haven't been able to play with the tech yet, but I've read unbelievable things about it. And it uses the unused channels, UHF and VHF channels, and those are broadcast as a constant signal. Well, with an antenna piggybacked on your own internet, it can broadcast a signal through TV white space um, a regular router, like you put a router in your house, it's got about a 30 to 50 meter range. A TV white space antenna has a six mile broadcast range. And if community anchor institutions, now these are the, the sites that have been designated as like the first ones you wire with fiber, you know, like hospitals and libraries and schools, because it's, it's mission critical for those organizations. If they were to do this, they could provide internet to a whole neighborhood with just certain organizations in the right distance. And I don't know, because I haven't played with it myself, how stable the signal is, but it's only $6,000 for a base antenna and three to five hotspots in different places throughout that six miles. And it's free internet. These are the things we need to be looking at to help make broadband as ubiquitous as TV and phone services now, because that's where it's going.
0: You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Live's. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is Laura Marlene, the Executive Director of the Omaha Public Library System. Clearly, there's this technological impetus, absolutely essential, and and that's been quite revelatory. I'm wondering if there are other ways that, as themes and events and needs in the world around us change, how the libraries are
1: changing too for the future. Well, so many people still say that libraries, you know, why do we need libraries? We've got Google. Google's not everything, and you can't find everything on Google. You need librarians to help sometimes. Um, We're good at finding stuff, and we're good at evaluating whether it's accurate and it's what you need. And those services, surprisingly, are so much more important lately in in a world of fake news and truthiness and (laughs) (laughs) post-truth. That's that's about it. You can connect to the whole world on the internet, but you can also create a very tight little bubble where you only hear the things you want to hear. And that's not a good thing to do either. That's not a safe thing to do. So how do you evaluate the resources you link to online, the pages you like on Facebook or the, the things you follow on Instagram or what you pin on pinterest all of that how do you how do you evaluate it how do you and and that alone has become a full-time job well it is a full-time job we have people who do this uh, evaluate resources it's it's not easy and it's not cheap either if you want accurate resources we can we can help you find those we have tons of databases we buy for just that purpose and we can show you how to use them and how to navigate them and those are available 20, 24/7 with your library card, on our website.
0: Sometimes you can borrow something from the library and then realize that this book is a keeper. And so you will then go and buy it.
1: I love cookbooks. I love to check them out of the library, give them a test drive. And if there are a lot of recipes that I find myself taking photographs of with my smartphone (laughs) to archive on my recipe folder on Dropbox, I think, oh, maybe I should buy this one. (laughs) So it makes it easier. It is nice. It's a nice feature.
0: So I want to hear a little bit more about your upbringing. I I don't know anything really about the East Coast around New England, and I'd just like to hear a little bit more about, about um, your life there.
1: Um, I grew up in the smallest city in the smallest state, Central Falls, Rhode Island, also one of the poorest cities in Rhode Island. Um, it's a square mile, um, a population of approximately 20,000 people, and about 60 percent Latino, which meant great food. (laughs) I loved where I grew up. I could bike all over the city, and I did. My parents owned a store there that my grandfather had started, and it was a convenience store, and we sold newspapers, and we had a grill, and some short-order cooking, (laughs) and of course, I worked there, um, there was no choice, <laughs> and it was around the corner from the library, which I spent a lot of time at, and I wor- eventually worked there. My parents always worked at the store, and um, my grandfather and grandmother and great uncle had worked there too. It had been a big family business, and everybody cycled through, and it was a hub. It was People would come in and sit at the counter and have coffee and hang out with my parents, And people especially would go to my mom if they had any issues. She was very politically connected, very involved in politics. My grandfather had been a senator. So it was just part of our lives. Election day was like a holiday to me. I used to be able to go to the polls. And because the the poll workers couldn't leave, I was a runner. So they'd I'd take coffee orders and I'd run to my parents' store and get coffees and bring them back to the polls. And I just loved that. And when I was old enough, I was able to work at the polls too. But my mom would take me door to door. We'd, whatever candidate she was supporting, whatever election it was, we would go door to door. We'd wear our buttons. We'd hand out information. Um, This was just such a part of my life growing up. And politicians would actually go to my parents' store and drop off their papers because if my mom liked them. She'd get people to sign, and she'd say, oh, you know, you'd like this guy. Sign his papers. He'll be running this year. All the time. And people would talk to my mom and ask her for help with things. And she'd find help. She knew everybody in local government, and she'd say, oh, I'm going to send you to this person. They can help you. It was it was really amazing. I didn't realize then how lucky I was. Um, they also sold tons of magazines and newspapers from all over. When I worked there, I read all the time until we got cable TV, then I watched a lot of MTV back when there were videos. Um, But I read everything I could get my hands on, everything from Barron's to Women's Wear Daily to the the cheesy true crime magazines. I, I just couldn't get over how much access I had And I think about it now, and I was really fortunate in a pre-internet age to have that store with all of that information, all that current, the current news magazines, tons of comic books. It was fantastic. And then I could just go over to the library and fill in other blanks that the questions I'd come up with reading things. It's like, well, what is this about? And I knew, okay, (laughs) You can go check in the sciences and 600s and find a book and it'll explain this to you and i thought anything i ever wanted to know between these two resources i could find out anything boy what i didn't see coming <laughs> i didn't realize you know it took me two years i dropped out of college and i was working in a library i was working in a few libraries part-time and i kept thinking oh, what do i want to do with my life I'm gonna to have to go back to school. I have gotta finish college, but what am I gonna do? Two years before I realized I'm doing what I wanna do. <laughs> I wanna be a librarian. And then when I went back, it was, it was easy because I knew what my goal was. So I finished my undergraduate degree and I had my first son. And then I graduated in August. I started my master's in September. I knew if I took a break, <laughs> if I lost momentum, it'd be hard to get it back. And I just kept going. I took a semester off when I had my second son, and I kept going. It only got tough when they got homework, too. Then it was a little too much homework for everybody. <laughs> and some people said, well, you know, you take too much time away from your children. You should be doing that instead. And I thought, really? Shouldn't I show them what they should be doing when they're adults, how they should find what they're passionate about and put their energy into that? Um So that's what I did, and now my kids are very much like that. They're passionate about the things they like, and they work really hard to get where they are.
0: Since the epiphany that the library world was your world, then you became a leader of a library system, and and now here you are in Omaha with a larger library system that you're leading. Do you feel slightly removed from, from the world of libraries that you started out in, or does it feel even more empowering for you?
1: In a weird way, both. Um, I miss direct public service because I had been doing that a little bit at my last library and I'd also been doing a part-time job on Sundays at a different library. And I really loved it because it was a different library. I wasn't the director. I just worked the desk and people would come in and they'd need help with homework or they'd need a book or a recommendation. And I got to do that and it was so much fun. And I do miss that. But in a way, I still get to do that at a different level, and I really love connecting with people to find out what kinds of things they need from the library and what, what we can do to help and ways that we can provide the service, provide access to the resources because um, there's just so much out there, and you need curators who know and can hear a problem and say, oh, I know exactly what will help you with that.
0: What do you think would surprise people about libraries?
1: There's so many resources, and it's hard to really um, describe some things. We serve all of Douglas County. That's big, and that's a huge demographic in ages, um, religious beliefs, race. I I mean, so anticipating what people can need and what would be useful to them gets to be challenge. Um, some of the things we've been doing recently where we've circulated a toy library, which is a really cool thing because some of these are expensive educational toys that some people don't have access to buy for themselves, or they're happy to buy it if they know their kid will like it. So they can check these out and give them a try and play with these toys and see if it's what they want, if it's what their child wants. And it also lets them bring something new (laughs) into the house to, to just get some novelty. Um, The toy library is fantastic. Um, The seed library has been an amazing resource. So check our website because we've got the seed library and people um, are offering programs around gardening, We have some fantastic resources if people need help knowing what to grow when we've got programs coming up and we can connect you to a program or another resource in the area. The seed library is wonderful. We do some amazing programs annually. We did the culinary festival. Um, I've been here for two of those. Lucky me. They are amazing. Um, Our librarians put this together. It's fantastic. And, this year we had um, local chefs come in and prepare food there. So they were serving the things that they were talking about. We have a cookbook exchange there. So people can bring in old cookbooks and come away with a new cookbook or, well, new to them cookbook. Um, the friends participate at the event and they help sell cookbooks. And it's just lively and fun and food and what else would you want? Another annual program we have that's really big is our um, speed dating event, which I know speed dating sounds kind of dated, but sorry, poor choice of words, but people really love coming to the library for that. We had, um, we did two events with four different age groups on it. We did a Friday night and a Sunday and we had so many people, we had over a hundred people for both days and we matched up a lot of people. We've had three marriages result from this event and hopefully some more. Libraries connect people with what they need.
0: You mentioned uh, Girls Who Code. And I wonder if that's another component of what the library does with and for community, which is to be a valuable contributing collaborator of some sort with, with other entities in our community.
1: That's always been important for libraries. And I think it's growing to be more so now. OPL offers a lot of space to individuals and organizations. There's meeting room space. People can book. People do this. um, We have people coming in uh, to work collectively on school projects. We have people who come in and, and teach a Tai Chi class. Our meeting room space is very valuable and it fills up. It's just so strange to me that it's really the only place in the community you can go for that. There's no other place you can just drop in, work with somebody, and not be shoved out the door overstaying your welcome and you don't have to buy a coffee to stay and (laughs) we want to make it more useful so our move to better internet will allow us to do things like smart boards um have projectors readily available so people can do presentations you know we'll have the the capacity to offer a lot more um but yeah library space is not just physical um who like to be outside the library and because our Wi-Fi extends, they can do that too. Um, when I, when I worked in central falls, this was around hurricane Katrina and there were a lot of people displaced by Katrina and you wouldn't think they would have gone as far as Rhode Island to But people were sent to shelters all over the country and we had a lot of people come to Rhode Island and our small library wasn't able to stay open enough hours. So I deliberately bought um, amplifiers to install so we could project our internet into our parking lot to make sure if anybody was there later, they'd have internet access even overnight because they'd want to talk to their families. And we had the broadband to allow them to do video conferencing for free. So they could just come in, put on a headset and call whoever and um, have an hour to talk to their family wherever their family was. And we were able to provide that as well. So it it was really amazing meeting people who'd been displaced by Katrina in Rhode Island and um, all of a sudden trying to help find resources for them so that they could connect with their family or find jobs or all of the things they needed. So we tried to work with the shelters to, to provide sort of wraparound services where we could.
0: What reading material is on your nightstand and what would you say to the community should be on their nightstand?
1: I try not to tell people what they should read. I usually try to figure out what they like to read and then I can tell them, Oh, well this, this might fit. If you like this author, you probably like this one. Um, I I read a lot of things, and I still love comic books. So <laughs> um, I actually still subscribe to Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics. Um, I have a graphic novel on my nightstand, Monstrous, which is pretty good. I'm reading Lab Girl because um, the author will be coming to Omaha to speak at an event we're going to be having in um, September. And it's a great book if you haven't read it. It's really wonderful. It's Hope Jaron. And um, she's a biologist. She works at the University of Hawaii. And she'll be coming to talk about her experience and growing up in her father's lab and um, becoming a science geek. And we'll be doing an event at a school as well. So students will have an opportunity to come and hear her speak. Um, I've also got three novels I picked up at the Friend's book sale. One's a Star Trek novel because I'm a bit of a Star Trek geek. and um, I'm reading an ebook on my phone. <laughs> I've, there's, I've got reading material everywhere. Um, I'm reading this wonderful book, Kindred. Um, I think the author's name is Olivia Butler. I hate that I can't remember those things anymore, but it's, oh, it's wonderful. It's about, um, a black woman in 1976 who somehow gets pulled back in time to an ancestor who was a white slave owner and it's written from her point of view. And she talks about the different time period and, and the challenges. And I haven't been able to put it down. It's just been so fascinating
0: with me in conversation has been Laura Marlane, Executive Director of the Omaha Public Library System. Laura, thank you so much for being
1: here. Thank you, Stuart. It's been great. Uh, name was, uh, Mary,
0: Mary. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Lives. I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Dialogue, that part of the show when I'm joined by guests to talk broadly about the show's theme, which this week is Libraries. With me in Dialogue are Barbara Whites and Wendy Townley. Barbara Whites is a visionary woman with a diverse background. She has worked as a speechwriter in Minnesota, a director of Christian education for a local Presbyterian congregation, and a social work professor at the University of Nebraska. She received a BA in political science from Carleton College an MPA from New York University, and an MSW from the University of Nebraska. Whether through her family's philanthropic foundation or personally, Barbara has served community in ways big and small. She's also particularly fond, and uh, kindness will be recognized by her three children, Roger, Katie, and Drew, and not least her husband, Wally. Wendy Townley serves as Executive Director of the Omaha Public Library Foundation. Since 1985, the Library Foundation has raised dollars for Omaha Public Library programs and services. Townley is a native of Omaha and holds bachelor's and master's degrees from UNO. She is a member of the Optimist Club of Omaha, part of Optimist International, a worldwide volunteer organization made up of more than 2,500 local clubs whose members work each day to make the future brighter. She is also the author of a book of memoir essays, Nerdy 30. Hello. Thanks for Hello. being here.
2: Hello, Stuart.
0: I think everybody has a library story. I want to ask you, what are your library stories?
2: I love libraries. I would like to live in a library. I would go every Saturday on the bus to the Willacather Library at 42nd and Center. I would spend the whole day there. And the librarians were like my friends. They were like almost big sisters to me. And... I read, I, my goal was to read every book in the kids section so that I can move on to the adult (laughs) section. And, and they helped me with that. And I can't tell you how safe I felt in the library. It's like, it's so important to me. And I, every time I go buy it now, I want to go in. It's like, no, I don't need a book, but I want to just go in and see it. So yeah, I love libraries.
3: There's a definite feeling that is evoked with libraries, I think, for a lot of people. And growing up, Willa Cather was one of my branches um, because it was five minutes from where my cousins lived. And I spent many summer days at my cousin's house. Um, We would be over there during the day, and then my aunt would take us over to Willa um, in the afternoon. And and say what you will, that branch has a very distinct smell about it. I don't know what it is. It's not a foul smell, but... But when I went in there after a couple years, it hit me and I was immediately seven years old again. And I remember that. And then um, just the feeling of freedom, especially being there in the summer, knowing we didn't have to go to school, but that we could just explore and we could participate in any of the summer reading programs. My other library branch growing up was South Omaha Library, but the old one in South Omaha, not where it currently sits. That was a little closer to where I grew up, and so going in there, needing help with different school projects, reports, um, it also it it was just a very much a part of our childhood. I went Mm -hmm. to our school library, but I don't remember the details as much as I do going to our public libraries. Mm
0: -hmm. How have our perceptions of libraries changed? since those sort of really emotional first introductions?
2: I think um, the availability of the internet and to be able to get the things that I went to the library for in high school were often research related. And now kids don't really have to do that necessarily anymore. And I think that's changed how they look at the library. Cause that was a place of a great source of wisdom for me. And I just needed to get to the library when I had something to research. So I think how we do research has changed. It doesn't mean the library is not relevant. It just means our idea of what the library does needs to change with it. But um, yeah, I, I see my daughter-in-law taking my grandchildren to the library every week to change books out. So there are some things, I think, that are continuing to be traditional about the library.
3: The library offers a very
2: tactile experience that a child
3: or a teen or adult simply is not going to get at home if they are looking at content on a digital device. At the library, we love digital content. We offer it to library patrons. We raise dollars for it to make it available. But there is still something about the experience of looking up where that book is located, asking a library staff member to help you find it, going through, glancing did I miss it? No, let me go again. And then you find it. It's this. It's a, a very exciting treasure hunt. I find it to be regardless of the topic of the book that you're looking for. And then you plop down in a chair, you open it up. I'm going to talk about smells again. We all know the smell of books. It's one of the best. And you have that experience there finding an answer. And even though technology provides us Answers at lightning fast speeds. There is just a human connection that is lost that you get at the library. The library historically has always been about answering questions. Books and literature for sure. But the main thing is we want to answer questions. And and that need is never going away.
2: I just remembered... My one really horrible moment in a library was I had grown up in Omaha and gone to school here, gone to libraries here, went to a small liberal arts college and went to the library there. And my favorite thing was when I had something to write about was to um, go up and down the stacks and pull books out at random, you know, looking for a topic or whatever. I got to NYU for grad school and I went up to the librarian and I said, I need to go in the stacks related to this topic. Oh, no, you fill out a piece of paper and you give it to them and they retrieve it. And then you come up to the desk and get it. You're not allowed to go where the books are. And I thought, wait, that's not a library. You can't do that. But they did. And I don't know how many libraries are set up that way or have been or have changed. But that was horrifying to me.
3: That's the whole beauty of libraries is, is going in one section or having an idea of I'm only here to get these three books and then you stumble across <laughs> this and this section and you say, what is this over here? And it's just endless and it's, it's so gratifying. And I think, granted, you have that experience a little bit if you start clicking away after searching for something, but it, it, it just isn't the same, doesn't provide the same sense of satisfaction.
0: I want to ask you both, what role do libraries now play in your lives
2: well in my life i still go and see it as a quiet place to read um, i'll i'll find books to read in the library but often i'll bring things with me when i was working i was taking a class at a distance and i would always go do all of my homework in the library because that was the place where you you really studied and so it's in my mind it's still a sanctuary of quiet quiet rest and opportunity to open your mind up with all sorts of new things so that hasn't changed I don't check out books the way I used to and that's because I have an e-reader
3: so I am most certainly biased because my office is in the library the downtown library so for me the library is also about work it's my commute to work every day um our office is located up on the fourth floor. And and there are many days, I hate to say this, I get out of my car, I go all the way up to four, and I don't make it into the other floors where the books are. And I feel horrible when I'm leaving and the elevator is stopping and I see the books on the shelves and I think, wait, but I wanted to check out. And then I say, Wendy, you've been here for eight hours. You didn't get up once to look at a book. But for me, it's very much a place of nostalgia when I step into a library. I definitely feel it going into the Chris Library at UNO because I went to undergrad and grad there, spent countless hours. The third floor of Chris Library is one of my favorite places in Omaha. I cannot recommend it enough to people. And so it's definitely a touch point and and a way to kind of unplug For me as well. And in terms of checking out books, I love to check out, uh, cookbooks before I spend 35 or $40 on a new cookbook and end up making one recipe out of the whole darn thing. I'll check it out, take it home. Um, if I'm taking a trip, I will go and research there. Um, it's just the, the, the limit of, of what's available is only, um, only bound by what that library branch offers. And with our library system, with 12 buildings, we we have a lot of books, a lot of books.
0: Why are libraries relevant for the 21st century? And nostalgia is, of course, looking over your shoulder with fondness, but not looking to the rest of this century. So how how might we rethink or reorient ourselves to what the library can be for the 21st century?
3: I think being a community resource is... Where the library is most relevant, and I, from Omaha Public Library's perspective, that is one of the key missions of our library system: is to not just sit there with our doors open and say, "Well, we're here. People should stop by and check out our books and attend a author event or learn how to to use Microsoft Word." It's really our our librarians going out into the community and working with neighborhood organizations and having space um, at the community engagement center
2: at UNO and understanding there is a great role they can play. As long as we have librarians who are willing to embrace technology and change I don't think we have to worry about libraries not being relevant in the future because I think as long as as they're not stuck with that idea of we've got books and you got to come see us I think they can do amazing things for our community and the classes they offer and the storytelling pieces that you can't get from the internet. It's not like sitting with 12 children around you looking at the book while the librarian reads the story to you. There's immense possibilities for community engagement Mm -hmm. in libraries. And I mean, I think there's just lots of possibilities there. We need nostalgia. I mean, I think we have to embrace where we've been, but then I think we don't get stuck there. Um with regards to
3: library, it's it's a great equalizer for families. I, I often like to say, if you come to our library, we don't care where you live. We don't care what type of car you drive. We don't care how much money is in your bank account or what your last name is. We're here to help you. This is a free service. We're here to serve you. The library is really here to serve the community's needs, to listen to the community on what, what they need, and then to Uh, respond accordingly. And that for some of us, that's being there every Saturday morning at 10 when Mrs. Jones is there to read her newspaper with coffee. It's another to have story time in the summer. Um, So it's really being, even though it's challenging to say all things to all people as much as we can with the resources that we're given.
0: So I have this really fond idea of libraries also being something that people should have at home. So how else might we think of uh, libraries away from the usual idea, and what libraries do you maybe have at home?
2: Well, we we have a library because when we built our house, there were we we could each pick something that we wouldn't live in if unless it was there. Our architect was very wily, and <laughs> both of us picked library. That was the first thing on our list. So we do have a library. It tends to be a lot of things, our books left over from our educational experiences, and then. Um, things that we've collected along the way. Our children's books are upstairs in the playroom library. We made our house to have books in every room. Um, That's how much we love books. So um, we have a personal library, but it doesn't stop me from wanting to go to the public libraries. They stay way ahead of things.
3: I was thinking, and my answer is the same as Barb's, is we have books between my husband and I in every room. It's not intentionally. (laughs) Um, Sometimes there's just overflow, and I find myself, there's books that I absolutely will not part with, um, but there's other books Mm -hmm. that I'm willing to give to the Friends of Omaha Public Library, for example, for their book sale. Um, I just did that a couple months ago because the piles were getting a little sloppy. <laughs> but what did I do? I went and picked up a couple more at a friend's right. sale. And then I was at the bookworm and I picked up a couple more and I may have bought a few on Amazon. And it's something, right. it's a personal collection that I just curate mm-hmm. constantly. And, and there are books that I can probably sit here and tell you I will never open again mm-hmm. and read, but I love the story so much. And I I love to think about where I was in life when I read that story or when that story found its way to me that I just can't part with it. There's so many titles like that. I We could do a whole
2: show just talking just about on that. that. Uh, someone told me about having a bookshelf of books that have changed your life. Mm-hmm. And I put together a bookshelf mm-hmm. of books. like, And it's exactly that. Yeah. After I read them, I would never be the same. And and you can't do that in the library, but you can do that in your personal library. Mm-hmm. And it's... um. You have I have my favorite sections in the library, but I also can read things I don't want to buy. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see what are books like in that arena. Mm-hmm. Like I engineering. Hmm, but <laughs> <laughs> how does a train work? You know? It's mm-hmm. kind of curious So and it starts with questions, mm-hmm. like you said at the very beginning. And and
3: one of the comments when I visit with them about the library, people say, I love the library, but I just love to buy books. I love to own books. And I say, you still can. You're never going to own everything that you want to read in life. So there is definitely a strong need and a strong role for libraries in our lives. And I tell people, Mm -hmm. read the book first. If you really love it, go buy a copy. Go buy 10 copies. Mm -hmm. The author and the publisher are not going to say no to
0: that. So what is on your nightstands?
2: Well, I'm reading um, the Geography of Genius by um, Eric Weiner, and he, I've read all of his books. He's on NPR, mm-hmm. and he—he's kind of a combination travel log and history and observation of life. And he did one on um, religion, uh, man seeking God, like it was an ad and a personal column. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did one on religion, and now is Geography of Genius, and I recommend it. I mean, I recommend his writing. Because it's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So this is not intended to be a plug-in anyway, but I am currently reading the book Lab Girl by the author <laughs> yes. Hope Jarin. Right. Um, we are bringing her to Omaha this September for a library fundraiser, and I um, at, put the book on my Christmas list. Every mm-hmm. year for Christmas, I ask for several titles, and that was one of them, so I'm working my way through that. Um, the other book that I have just started within the past week or two is Commonwealth by Ann Patchett, mm-hmm. um, which has gotten wonderful reviews, and it seems mm-hmm. like everywhere I turn so Someone is talking about that book, right. um, but I still will find myself picking up books that I just are, am drawn to. Some days in my own collection, mm-hmm. or even at the library, that I'm curious about. Um, and and there's something very satisfying about always having that opportunity. That I am yeah. never going to run out of things to read. It's it can be daunting because you're never going to read yeah, everything like, you oh, want. Oh, I know.
2: Did you read the badass librarians of?
3: Baghdad. No, I
2: didn't. Oh, I need to. You got to read <laughs> that. <laughs> With a it's title really, like that, I know, especially for a librarian. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's really cool. I read it this fall. I'll oh. loan it to you. Okay, thank you.
0: One of the things that the library does that I really like to see is each year the announcement of what were the top ten books in certain categories that were read in our community, and for me, it's a little bit uh, like peeking into the window of, of every home and trying to get a sense of who we are, what we're reading. Right. It makes me wonder if libraries are uh, a metaphor for communities. And so if if that's true, what does our library say about our community? What can a library say about its community?
3: I think that people are curious I think you look at our circulation statistics and our um, foot traffic alone, people are curious and they have questions and they are going to continue coming to the library. And I think the fact that people are talking to one another about books, just as as we're doing here today, drives them to the library. So I think it's, for my perspective, it's kind of a um, validation that people still care about the written word that is not always online.
2: (laughs) Don't we pick a book for common reading every year, We too? do.
3: So the Omaha Reads program um, happens every September. And um, it's been really fun seeing the different titles that the librarians suggest, or we actually request community, um, nominations. And then we put the finalists mm-hmm. out on the library's website and then the community vote. So they have been in, um, yes. input at two touch points. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. And so they're in the tallying process right now. Last yeah. year it was all the light we cannot see by Anthony door. Um, mm-hmm. previously Eleanor and park by rainbow right. Rowell. Um, before that the meaning of names by Karen shoemaker out of Lincoln. So Nebraska. I mean three vastly yeah. different Perry.
2: genres, but it's what people are talking about. I think that valuing libraries says a lot about a community. And so, and where we put our money says a lot about our values. So I think it's important to look at how cities expend funds for taxpayers on things like libraries, because I think they're critical to the entire community and not to a specific group or piece of the community. And I think... Um, I think there's going to be a diversity of things people read, which is great. But I think uh, the idea behind reading as a as a way of opening yourself up to the world that our community isn't an isolated place, and we need to learn about all the places we don't know about. And the only place I think that we can do that with any kind of broad dispersal is a library. So I think libraries have a lot to say about our community and how we treat them and how many people know about them and how they engage with librarians are special people in many towns. Mm-hmm. This town of Dornick, everybody knows the librarian, you know, and I think a lot of people in Omaha know Wendy and know the Omaha library system pretty mm-hmm. well. And that's just a lot of good things. And I think it keeps us young. I think it invites young families who are just starting out that can't afford To have books in the house, they have a place to go where their children have access to the world beyond their front door. I think it's critical, and it's a great way to look at your community and say, how healthy are we Mm -hmm. based on our library?
3: And you go into any of our library branches and you see the conversations that uh, strike up between the patrons who are the regulars and the staff. If there is a a library staff member who takes a vacation and doesn't tell the patrons, they will get worried and say, well, what happened to so-and-so? They develop very strong relationships um, and they really build that sense of community. When you go to kind of your regular stops throughout the week for many people, um, the library is one of those places and, and it's a privilege for us to be able to to be there for you and to answer questions. Um, we laugh at no questions. We get some we get some um, stinkers for sure, some that are, are very puzzling with regards to trying to track down a book, but our library staff love to be able to help.
0: Final question. Print books, ebooks, Audiobooks, all of the above, none of the above.
2: Print.
3: I, I unfortunately cannot consume any other type of book.
2: That is where I am. I consume them all. I use audiobooks when I'm driving, so, and my kids and I listen to a book that we all choose. I use a print books when I'm home or someplace where I can leave a book and come back to it. I use ebooks when I travel. So that I don't have to take a suitcase and ask Wally, I literally take suitcases of books with me when I travel. So, I do too. <laughs> see, ebooks make that a, l- I a should little try easier. That. Yeah. So uh, I all of the above. Yeah.
0: With me in dialogue this week have been Barbara Whites and Wendy Townley. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Wendy. Yay! Team. Yay we made it. <laughs>
0: That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar McTiswick. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life.